the Tennis Gambling Podcast and the Sports Gam Podcast are presented by Circa Sports. Circa Sports is back with their Circa Survivor and Circa Millions contests. $14 million up for grabs. Get all the details at circasports.com. Welcome, everybody, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast here on the Sports Gam Podcast. Now, it is currently Wednesday night, July 12th, and I'm your host, as always, Scott Rochelle, once again going solo for this pod. Should be a fun one, but a bit of a unique one because we are officially transitioning over to the women's side of Wimbledon as we will be going over the two Wimbledon semifinal matchups on the women's side taking place on Thursday. Now, if you are looking for the men's podcast for the semis, don't worry. We'll be doing that at some point tomorrow. But the point is, you do have a day off for the men's side as they will be resuming action on Friday. So for that reason, I thought it was a good opportunity to get in on some tennis matches taking place on Thursday, which is why we are, we are going to be covering the women's semifinals, not to mention the fact that we had to skip the fourth round on the men's side because of traveling. So I decided to make up the episode, so to speak, by having a potential bonus episode here for the Wimbledon semis on the women's side. But either way, should be fun. Uh, you have two pretty interesting matchups that are completely different from one another because you have two Cinderella runs going off against each other, and then you end up having two of the better grass court players on the entire tour in the other semi. So you can make a serious argument that Jabor and Sabalenka, the winner of that match, will be a massive favorite. I would probably agree with that statement, but the point is you do have to actually play the matches out, and you never know what's going to happen in women's tennis. I believe Rabakina was around 100-1 to to win the title last year, so we have seen some Cinderella runs actually cash in the past in the women's side, and we'll see if either Svitolina or her opponent can get the job done, potentially in a final, against Jabor or Sabalenka. But before we get into any of the two matches, do want to recap how we did on the last episode. Overall, did decently, ended up winning the lock as we had Eubanks to break Medvedev at least one time at minus 163. Full disclosure, that's one of the dumbest lines I've ever seen, and I believe I even stated that when I took it as my lock. As far as I'm concerned, that was a briefcase bet. That was a sell all your belongings and invest it in the prop and then just enjoy the winnings because there was no way Medvedev was going to go through the entire match without getting broken at least once, especially with how shaky he has been in various service games in the first couple of rounds. Now, Medvedev's serve eventually caught fire in the last couple of sets in that match, but the second set, he completely no-showed, and he lost 6-1, and Eubanks was able to break him several times in that set, broke him again in the third set, so the point is Eubanks ended up breaking pretty easily, and that turned out to be a no-sweat winner for us. And as for the dog, unfortunately, we got the Alcaraz portion of it right, as we thought he would beat Rune. I mentioned minus one F sets on the show. He won in straight sets, but unfortunately, we did have Djokovic and Rublev match under, Three and a half sets in that parlay, and Djokovic had a couple of breakpoint chances early, could not convert in the first set, then Rublev broke him in the last possible moment there, basically, at the end of the first set, and then Djokovic buried him after that, so that match did go four, so picked up a loss there with the two-pick parlay at around plus 117, but we did win the lock, so it could have been worse, but unfortunately, still looking for our first sweep of the tournament. Either way, though, to get into any of the recaps, I feel like it would make the most sense to recap the actual quarterfinal matches on the men's side when I do the men's semis episode tomorrow. So for that reason, I'm going to skip the overall takeaways from the last couple of days on the men's side. Instead, I feel like I kind of have to talk about the actual recap for the women's side with the quarters. So that's what I'm going to do first. 
I'm going to go through the actual matches that took place over the last few days on the women's side. I'm not sure if I'm going to cover the whole bracket because I know that I haven't exactly talked about the women's section at all. But still, I want to at least talk about it briefly. So going through the first set of quarterfinal matchups, you had a couple of marathons. You had Pagula taking on Vondrozova. And Vondrozova ended up winning in three sets. Uh, she was a slight underdog, but got the job done there. And you had Swiatek taking on Svitolina. And that was another really, really entertaining match where Svitolina eventually wore down Swiatek in the third set. I can't say Swiatek was completely invincible going in. And it seemed like it was just the most shocking upset you could possibly imagine. Because Swiatek did have to fight off a couple of match points against Bencic in the previous round, which he did. But I do think, once again, Svitolina, after taking the time off and after making her return, the fact that she's been able to already make a Wimbledon semi is extremely impressive. And if you want to go through the odds here, she was at plus 500 on the money line against Swiatek. I thought that line at the time was a little bit large just because of the fact that Swiatek, once again, looked pretty vulnerable against Bencic. We know that she's not exactly known for her grass prowess, and I did think that that match would be competitive. Did I think that Svitolina was going to win? No. I'll be full... Uh, fully honest about that, I thought that she was probably going to lose in a competitive two sets, maybe three sets. I didn't think Swiatek was going to lose, but I did not think plus 500 was a worthy line. I would kind of compare it to what I saw or what I expected to see in the Eubanks-Medvedev match, which took place on Wednesday. Once again, not going to fully break it down because I'm going to save that for the men's episode. But the same argument was, well, Eubanks probably is not going to win, but he's looked very good. And Medvedev has looked fine, but we know on occasion he can be a little bit vulnerable. I thought that Eubanks had a chance to make the match very interesting. I didn't think he'd win, but I thought it might go to four or five sets. It was kind of the same analysis that I had for Svitolina and Swiatek, where I just thought that Swiatek eventually would win because the cream kind of rises to the top. But I did think that Svitolina had enough weapons on the grass to make life difficult, and I just thought the line seemed to be extremely mispriced. If I had to price it myself, I would have had Svitolina probably around plus 350 and Swiatek probably in the minus 500 range. But either way, point is Svitolina got it done. I did not see that coming. But for the sake of the recap on the Tuesday matches, you had two wars and you had the Cinderella players end up advancing as they were able to upset the favorites. Pagula was a significantly smaller favorite. I believe she was around minus 130, minus 140. But still, point is the underdog did win in each of those Tuesday quarterfinal matches. And moving over to the Wednesday matches, you had one pretty straightforward match and you had a rematch of the Wimbledon final last year between Jabor and Rabakina. So starting off, uh, with the first match, Madison Keys gave it a good run, just simply put. Uh, she ended up winning a grass title before Wimbledon, and she's been struggling for a couple of years. She put together a respectable showing to be a Wimbledon quarterfinalist. Unfortunately, she ran into Sabalenka, and she never stood a chance. Sabalenka buried her, won the match 6-2, 6-4. Really not much to recap. I just thought that Keys was not as talented of a player as Sabalenka. Sabalenka's firepower plays very well on the grass, and you saw Keys really on her back foot for most of the match, and Sabalenka wasn't hitting many unforced errors. So Keys, simply put, did not play that well, but she also ran into a just a freight train, and she got run over. So not really much else more to add. Sabalenka was a huge favorite for a reason. I thought she'd be a bigger favorite, to be honest. She was minus 227, give or take, uh, so Keys was around plus 175. I thought that line was off, too. I know Keys was playing good tennis, but I figured Sabalenka would be closer to minus 350, minus 400. 
He's once again playing better, but Sabalenka on grass is still really good. And at the end of the day, she proved it because she looked very dominant. And I believe that currently uh, Sabalenka is one match away from, or I think it, it's two matches away, actually. I believe she's two matches away from regaining the number one player in the world ranking, uh, where she ends up overtaking Swiatek if she wins Wimbledon. So just keep that in mind. But to go through the main attraction, which was the rematch of the Wimbledon final last year, you had Jabor and Rabakina. And at first glance, it looked like it was going to be a war. And it was because Rabakina ended up winning the first set, 7-6. And you thought to yourself, well, we're in for a good one. And we were. Now, Jabor had a chance to win the first set as she broke at 5-5. So you assumed, all right, Jabor is probably going to win the first set. Maybe that might turn the tide. You don't want to give the defending champion extra life when she is really up against the ropes. And Rabakina was, once again, down a break at 5-6. And then she broke back, but it was not easy. She was up 15-40. She had two break points. Jabor fought those off, and Jabor actually had a set point at advantage at 6-5. And she got broken. So Rabakana broke back, and then she eventually won the breaker. And you thought maybe Jabor's emotions would get the better of her because she had such a good opportunity that she squandered. But no, Jabor came out firing, and she was able to win a very entertaining second set where if you look at the actual a breakdown here in uh, overall opportunities, really not many. Uh, in fact, you had no breaks for the first nine games of the actual set, uh, you had three break breakpoint chances for Jabor at one nothing, and you had three breakpoint chances for Rabakana at 2-2. But that was basically it. Everything else was pretty straightforward until uh, you saw Jabor apply some scoreboard pressure going up 5-4 in the second set, and Rabakana eventually got broken. Then the third set, Rabakana was just either mentally broken or physically broken or both because Jabor immediately ran her over to start the third set. Uh, held the first game, broke to love in the second game, had a competitive game at 2 nothing, where uh, you ended up going to deuce, but Jabor held. Then you ended up seeing uh, Rabakana hold once. Then she got broken again, and Jabor won 6-1. So Rabakana had a shot there as she was able to win the first set. Then Jabor kind of caught fire and was able to maintain that level of consistency and overall just impressive play for the last two sets in route to a three-set revenge win against the person who beat her in the Wimbledon final last year. So as a result, you have a pretty fun set of semifinals. You have two Cinderella's with Vendrozova going up against Fidelina, and you have a matchup between Sabalenka and Jabor. Once again, I mentioned it before, I think whoever wins the Sabalenka-Jabor match is going to win the title. I don't think it's a really hot take, but that's going to be my take for it. So if you do think that, for example, Jabor or Sabalenka is going to win that match and you have a really strong feeling about it, in my opinion, bet them to win the title because I really think whoever wins that match will be a massive favorite in the final. And I don't exactly see another Cinderella winning this tournament. Now, it's time to actually get into my overall thoughts for the... Uh, semis, I don't really have any news, so I'm not going to end up bothering, so I'm going to skip that section for this episode. Instead, let's get into the matches. Starting off with the early match, you have Vendrozova taking on Svitolina. Vendrozova is a slight favorite at around minus 138, and Svitolina is around plus 120 the other way. The over-unders at 22 and a half, uh, minus 115 to the under, minus 105 to the over. If you want to take the spread, Vendrozova minus one and a half is minus 105, and Svitolina plus one and a half 
is minus 115. If you want to take the match to go to three sets, you can find that at plus 125. Straight sets by either player is minus 155. If you want to get Vendrozva to win in straight sets, you can get that at plus 190. If you want to get Svitolina to win in straight sets, you can get that at plus 260. So for starters, let's do what we always do, which is recap the overall path of both players up to this point. And Svitolina has been, once again, a former top 10 player in the world, and she had to take some time off. But the point is, she has been very, very solid in this tournament, and she's had a couple of long matches. But overall, she's been good. Uh, ended up beating Venus Williams in the first round. Was struggling early on, then Venus took a tumble, and she kind of fell apart after that. Then beat Mertens in the second round in three sets. Beat Kennan. Kennan was in good form. She beat Goff, and Svitolina beat her in straight sets. Had a war against Azarenka, where she won the final set uh, tiebreaker 11-9, and then she ended up beating Swiatek in three sets. So she has gone to three sets in three of her last four matches, so you would normally worry about fatigue. However, once again, there has been some days off in between matches, so it's not exactly that concerning for Svitolina with her stamina. As for Vendrozova, she has also had her fair share of really long matches. In fact, to go through the path here, ended up beating Stearns, beat uh, she won her first three matches in straight sets, then had a three-set battle against Buskova, and then had a two a three-set war against Pagula. So she's had a couple of long matches recently. Each of her last two matches have gone the distance. But when you're looking at the overall ranking of both players, Vendrozva's around 40 is around uh, 42, and Svitolina's around 76. Once again, Svitolina's normally top 10, but with the amount of time she took off, she lost a lot of ranking points. But to go through the head-to-head matches between these players, uh, Vendrozva's actually done quite well. In fact, they faced off uh, in 2021 and 2020, faced off before that in 2019 and in 2018, but... Uh, and also in 2018 again. So Svitolina initially dominated as she won the first three matches in uh, Doha, in Stuttgart, and in Indian Wells. However, they faced off in 2020 and 2021, and Vendrozva completely fl uh, flipped the script on that competition and ended up winning in straight sets both times pretty convincingly. One in Rome, 6-3, 6-0, and one in the Olympics, actually, 6-3, 6-1. So looking at the head-to-head, -head, it is currently 3-2 Svitolina, but... Vendrozva has not dropped a set in each of the last two head-to-head -head matches. Now, for these odds, do I agree with Vendrozva being the favorite? I think I do. Do I think she should be this big of a favorite? I know that minus 137 the, or 138 doesn't sound like that big of a favorite, but this really does feel like it should be a coin flip to me. I think Vendrozva, if I had to pick a line myself, should be minus 120, minus 125. So I guess you can argue that there's a couple of cents value on Svitolina but I do think when you're looking at the level of competition, I think Svitolina has definitely faced off against better competition. So I think that she's in line to continue her solid form compared to Vendrozva, who beat Pagula, don't get me wrong. I think Buskova's okay. But for the most part, Svitolina's had a much uh, tougher path, and she's checked a lot more boxes when it comes to impressiveness in this tournament so far. So I think there's probably some value on Svitolina if you want to look at the actual plus money. But I do think my favorite play in this match will be the over. I like the two and a half sets uh, over at plus 125. I think these players are going to kill each other. Uh, Svitolina, we saw go to three sets once again in three of her last four matches. We've seen uh, Vendrosova go to three sets in each of her last two matches. I can definitely see an ebbs and flows type match where I don't want to compare it exactly to the Rabakana and Jabor match, but you have a very competitive battle 
each player's moments. Maybe you have a chance for one player to win straight sets that they kind of, I'd say, don't take full advantage of, and they let the other player come back into the match. But I see a real war here. So I think that for the sake of this matchup, I am going to link to Svitolina at plus money, solely because I do think with the actual value on this match, I think it's a coin flip. So getting plus 120 on a coin flip is a solid deal. But I do think my favorite play in this match will be the over two and a half sets. If you like the over in games to play it safer, I don't mind that either. You can get 21 and a half at minus 140. Maybe you get a tiebreaker and then you get a 6-3. That's always a possibility. But I do think, once again, when you're looking at the stakes at play and how nerve-wracking this might be for Vendrozova, who's in a complete Cinderella run, maybe you can argue that this moment might get the best of her early on. She might settle in, but you might have to wonder if she might be nervous and you might see her struggle early on. Maybe Svitolina jumps out to an early set lead. We'll see what happens. But I do think that this match going three makes a lot of sense for the value. So give me the over two and a half sets of plus 125 as my favorite play in this match. And moving on to some of the props here in this match, you have total aces, you have breaks of serve, and you have double faults. So you have the total aces at six and a half. The over is plus 110, under is minus 140. Uh, you can get individual aces if you want to take Vendrozva. That's at three and a half. Overs even money. Under is minus 130. Svitolina, three plus aces is minus 115. And under three is a minus 115. It's under two and a half, but you get my point. As for breaks of serve, you have six and a half as well. The over is minus 110. Under is minus 120. As for breaks of serve, each player is at three and a half. Svitolina is plus 110 to the over, minus 140 to the under. Evandrozova is minus 120 to the over and minus 110 to the under. And if you want double faults, the over five and a half is minus 140. The under is plus 110. Uh, so five and a half, it does seem like they're expecting both players to struggle with their serve, maybe because of nerves. But the over double faults for Evandrozova is three and a half. At even money, the under is minus 130, and uh, Svitolina is at 2.5, minus 115 to the over, and minus 115 to the under. So starting off with the actual recent numbers here for the Aces, I'm going to have to pull this up match by match. So starting off with Svitolina in her match against Swiatek, Aces-wise, she was pretty good, actually. She had five Aces, nine double faults, so that was definitely a concern, and it was an issue. But once again, she overcame it as she won the match in three. But the nine double faults is not ideal. Uh, the Aces, though, are worth noting because five is a solid showing, and considering the fact that her Ace number is a bit low, you might wonder why it is that low. Uh, but looking at the other numbers against Azarenka, she had zero double faults and eight Aces. So at first glance, it seems like Svitolina's Aces are a bit too low and you might see her potentially go over this number. But to look at everything else here, sorry, once again, I have to go match by match here. So I mentioned her going five or more in each of the last two matches that did go to three sets each time. So her against Cannon, she had six aces. So I feel like right now, looking at recent form, the aces is way, is, uh, way too low on Svitolina. I like the over two and a half. I just feel like that line is too short, and Svitolina does have some firepower. And based on the last couple of matches against good competition, she has been serving pretty well. And since I do think this match will potentially be a long one, you might have a lot of extra service games to work with. But just for the sake of actually going through the rest of the matches, uh, Svitolina against Mertens had three aces that did go to three sets. So not a great showing there, but still went over in theory. And then looking at Svitolina in her first round match against Venus, uh, let me just quickly see how she did. I'm assuming she went over, uh, but let me just quickly check. Uh, she had six aces. 
in the first round match. So Svitolina has gone over this number in every round, and yet her aces count as a two and a half. So I think at first glance, minus 115 for the Svitolina aces does seem very low. So that's going to be my favorite prop so far for this matchup. I know Vendrozova can be a pretty good returner, but once again, just based on the actual serving of Svitolina, the number really just feels off. I feel like the line should be closer to three and a half. Uh, you're looking at the last match. Pagula had zero aces against Vendrozova. So it could just be based on the fact that Vendrozova has been a very good returner, which might offset some of the serving success that Svitolina has had. But two and a half just feels very, very low. And I do think, once again, when you're expecting a marathon match and you can get a low number of aces and still go over, I still like it. And Vendrozova has not given up an ace in each of the last two matches. So I understand why this line might seem very, very low. However, I think Svitolina is a better server than Pagula and Buskova. So I do think that when you're looking at how to fully break down the aces, I just think that this number once again is too low. But we'll see what happens. Uh, maybe you can see Vendrozova once again dominate return games, and maybe you'll end up seeing uh, Svitolina struggle with her serve. But I feel like two and a half is too low. We'll see what happens. But I think if you want to take any prop there, maybe if you did not like Svitolina aces, you might just want to take the under in the full match instead at six and a half. Because if you think that Svitolina is going to be completely shut down with her serving, and Svitolina gives you maybe one ace, I don't think Vendrozva is going to give you six aces. So I think that you're probably looking at an under for the combined aces, if you want to take that approach, if you are concerned about Svitolina's aces. But once again, based on her serving, I would lean over two and a half. I think she probably ends up getting to three or four, if I had to guess myself. Besides that, though, really not much of a fan of any other type of prop. Don't see much. But I do think that's going to wrap it up for that actual match. Moving on to the other semi, the highly anticipated matchup between Sabalenka and Jabor. Sabalenka is around minus 160. Jabor is around plus 140. As for the game spread, Sabalenka is minus 2.5 and, and minus 115. Jabor is plus 2.5 and, and minus 105. As for the actual over-under, that's a 22.5. Over is even money. Under is minus 120. If you want to take some alt lines, you can get one and a half games for Sabalenka at minus 140. Jabor plus one and a half games at, at a plus 120. And you can get the alternative total at 21 and a half at minus 130 on the over. The under is even money. You can get 23 and a half. The over is plus 120. Under is minus 150. And if you want to take uh, three sets, you can get that at plus 135. If you want Sabalenka, to win in straight sets, you can get that at plus 155. If you want Jabor to win in straight sets, you can get that at plus 300. So, for starters, got to talk about the head-to-head between these players, uh, just because I feel like, you know, once again, it's a pretty solid way of at least starting your breakdown, because if they played relatively recently, then you might know what to expect. And for the most part, they really haven't, because they faced off in the WTA Finals last year, uh, which was, once again, less than a year ago, but still a pretty decent time ago. And Sabalenka did win that one in three sets. Very competitive. Jabor won the first set, and Sabalenka won the final two sets, 7-6, seven, 7-5. Seven, they did play in Wimbledon in 2021. Sabalenka won comfortably, 6-4, six, 6-3. Six, that was in 2021, so once again, I'm not sure how much I can actually uh, take away from that. They faced off in Abu Dhabi, and Sabalenka won that one in straight sets in 2021. And they faced off in... Roland Garros in 2020, and Jabor won that one in three sets. Now, Sabalenka is not known for being a good clay court player, so I'm not fully shocked that Jabor beat her in the French Open back in 2020. 
I'm also not shocked Sabalenka has won each of the last three matches because Sabalenka's on the verge of being the number one player in the world. So I'm not totally shocked by that. But I do think Jabor has been playing some really, really good tennis. So is Sabalenka. So you might argue that it's a serious clash in just overall talent uh, between these players. And you do have to mention fatigue because unlike Svitolina and Vendrozova, both of these players had to play yesterday. So you're looking at some potential exhaustion taking place or at least being a factor in this match. And Sabalenka had a pretty straightforward win against Madison Keys, while Jabor ended up having to go to three sets against Rabakana. The third set was easy, but the point is the actual first set and the second set were pretty competitive. So I do wonder if Jabor is going to struggle with fatigue. I do think, though, Jabor is quite alive to win this match. I agree with Sabalenka being favored, but Jabor has looked very, very good on grass in her entire career, and she is potentially on a revenge course because she did lose in the final last year. But to look at the actual path here, she really wasn't that active on grass before the uh, Wimbledon tournament. She lost in the first round in Berlin and lost in her second match against Georgie in Eastbourne. But she's been good in this match, in this tournament. She won in straight sets her first two rounds, then had a pretty competitive battle against Andrescu and won that one in three then beat Kvitova 6-0-6-3, which was one of the most impressive performances of the tournament because Kvitova was playing really, really well, and Jabor buried her. And then she ended up winning in three sets against the defending champion. As for Sabalenka, she's had a very easy road, and she did drop one set. She dropped the first set in the second round. After that, though, she's dominated. She has not lost more than four games in a set. So I think if you want to take Jabor, you're probably looking at the first set. Uh, be- or maybe if you want to make an argument for the over because I don't think she's going to beat Sabalenka in straight sets. And I do think that Sabalenka, once again, is the better overall tennis player. But fatigue's going to be a real problem for me because I'm looking at the actual time on the court for each player yesterday. And for comparison, Jabor was on the court for about an hour and 54, which isn't that bad for a three-set match because, the once again, the third set was so straightforward. But that's roughly two hours on the court with no days off in between. Sabalenka had her match against Keys, and it was pretty straightforward, but her time on the court was an hour and 27. So not the biggest differential in overall time on court, as Sabalenka did play less, but not by much, less than 30 minutes worth. So maybe fatigue won't play as big of a factor as I thought it was going to, because I figured that the Jabor-Rabakana match would have surpassed the two-hour mark, which it did not. So maybe you can toss that uh, piece of handicapping in the garbage, but I thought it was definitely food for thought. I do think, once again, that Jabor might have a little bit of value. Plus 140 does feel a little bit steep. I think it should be closer to around plus 125. I think Sabalenka should be around minus 145 by the price of myself. So in theory, Jabor might have some value uh, if you think that this line's too big. Having said that, I let's put it this way. I feel a lot better taking the over two and a half sets of plus 135 than I do taking Jabor to win the match at plus 140, because I think that if Jabor is going to win, it's probably going three. And I do think that Sabalenka, once again, she can potentially struggle against Jabor, because Jabor is very unique with her slice game. She has a lot of, I don't want to use baseball terminology, but off-speed pitches, a lot of variety. And I do think that if she's going to really make life difficult for Sabalenka, and she prevents Sabalenka from fully stepping in on her forehand, you know that Jabor can potentially dictate some of the points, and maybe Sabalenka's a bit bit off-balanced. She can't be as aggressive 
Maybe Sabalenka forces some aggressive shots without proper footwork and the unforced error count gets high. But I do think, once again, Sabalenka probably wins, if I had to guess. But I think that this line is a little bit large for Jabor, and I do think that she should be a little bit of a smaller underdog. For the sake of this overall matchup, though, I think I am in a lean to Sabalenka minus one and a half games at minus 140. I just think that Sabalenka is going to get it done. It could be competitive. It could be a battle. But I do think, once again, Sabalenka is the better server. Jabor is not exactly known for being a great server. And I do think that with Sabalenka's power, you can see her have easier service games throughout this match. And I think that's going to be the story. So for me, I think my plus money play would be the over two and a half sets at plus 135. But I think that the actual play I'd go with would be Sabalenka minus one and a half games at minus 140. If Jabor wins, would I be shocked? No. Because once again, she's the runner-up of this event from last year. But Sabalenka has been playing some great tennis. And I think that Sabalenka's recent dominance against Jabor tells you that Jabor can hang around. But I don't know if she can overtake her because of how powerful Sabalenka's shots are and how she can just push Jabor across the court and make life difficult for her. So give me Sabalenka minus one and a half games and minus 140. As for the actual props, though, at first glance, I find the breaks of serve props fascinating. The over or under is five and a half combined. Over is minus 130. Under is even money. Jabor, three or more breaks is minus 145. Two, uh, two or less breaks is plus 115. Sabalenka, though, three and a half breaks, plus 120 on the over. The under is minus 150. I think there might be some value on the over and breaks. I can see a world where each player has moments struggling with their uh, serve. I think Sabalenka might break Jabor a lot, to be honest here, because Jabor, we know, is more of a finesse player, and her serve is fine. I can't say that it's an amazing serve by any means, but I do think when you're looking at how this match might play out, Sabalenka's got a lot of length, and she is able to get a lot of balls back in play, and Jabor is going to be content with rallying a lot, and I'm not sure if you want to fully rally with uh, Sabalenka for a full two or three sets. Now, she did get broken only twice against Rabakana. Having said that, she did have to fight off nine break points. So Rabakana did have some chances in a decent amount of service games. She just didn't do a good enough job of actually converting, where I think Sabalenka would. But I do think when you're looking at what I might expect to see in this match, I think Sabalenka might end up just having a lot of constant pressure in Jabor service games. She was able to break Madison Keys four times, and that was with nine breakpoint chances. So Sabalenka has been aggressive with her returning game, and that's why she's been able to win a lot of these matches in straight sets up to this point. So I think that my my lean here would be the over and breaks. Three and a half, though, at plus 120 for Sabalenka. Might be worth a look at plus money, but once again, Jabor could serve well. She serves well against Rabakana. But I do think the firepower of Sabalenka and the length could make life difficult for Jabor because she won't be able to get as many free points off the first serve. But once again, I feel like that's my main lean for actual props. I don't really have much else, so it's going to wrap it up for the actual two matches. Now it's time for the Lock and Dog picks, but before we get into any of that, kind of a quick word from our sponsor. 
We're also brought to you by Circus Sports. Circa Millions and Circus Survivor are back. $14 million in guaranteed prizes up for grabs. Circa Millions is pretty simple. Five NFL picks against the spread each week. There's a leaderboard, and depending on how well you do, you can make yourself some serious money. On top of that, Circus Survivor is a different but fun way to get in on the NFL action. Pick a different Moneyline winner each week. You cannot use, once again, the same team twice, and whoever's the last team standing or last person standing ends up winning the grand prize, or if multiple Multiple people do make it to the end of the season, then you chop whatever the grand prize is. And on top of that, you can enter in Vegas, but play from anywhere using a proxy. And Sports Game Podcast will be out there last weekend in August. So stop by and say hi to the gang. Circusports.com for all the details. Circusports.com. What would you do if you ended up winning all that money? Possibilities are endless. I'd probably go on vacation. I travel a lot, maybe buy a ticket to the Super Bowl. We'd see. But the point is, it would be a lot of fun to, of course, get in on the action by winning. And for me, the picks that I'll look at for Survivor, there's a lot of potential options. Once again, the season's so far out there. I would fade the Cardinals, just simply put, with Kyler being on the shelf. And we know Arizona's got the lowest win total of any team. I'd probably just fade the Cardinals, play it safe. There's different philosophies when it comes to Survivor, where some people try to save the best teams for last. Others try to just get the best teams out of the way because you have more faith in them. I'm more of an option B guy. I'd rather just try to survive as long as possible and worry about the planning after. But I do think taking the Commanders in the first game at home against the Cardinals is worth a look because the Cardinals should be a mess. So that would be my thoughts for the week one of Survivor. But once again, get in on the action at Circus Sports, CircusSports.com for all of the details. We're also brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. Best Ball Mania 4 is here, and Underdog Fantasy is giving away $15 million in prizes. Underdog Pick'em is also another great way to get down your favorite MLB and college baseball player props. So many ways to win over at Underdog, and it's active in so many states. Head over to UnderdogFantasy.com. Use the promo code SGPN for a 100% deposit bonus up to $100. It's UnderdogFantasy.com. Promo code SGPN. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast. Just finished previewing the Wimbledon semifinal matchups on the women's side. Now it's time for the Lock and Dog picks. I initially thought, actually, by doing something different, I thought about taking two separate plus money plays as my Lock and Dog, but eventually decided against it. I found a play that I like more for the Lock, so I'm going to go with that instead. For the actual Lock, I'm going to go back to that Jabor and Sabalenka match, and I am going to go with Sabalenka minus one and a half games at minus 140. Simply put, I just think she's the better player. And even though Jabor has looked pretty good in this event, she's not looked as good as Sabalenka has, and it's really not even close. Sabalenka's dropped one set this entire event, and she's been dominant as she has been really good at returning. And I think that's going to be the problem here for Jabor because Jabor's serve is fine. I just think that Sabalenka's serve is better. And she's also been dominant in the head-to-head because to go through the matches, once again, Sabalenka has won each of the last three matches. And... She did not cover the spread in the last one, as that was the three-set war in the WTA Finals last year. But having said that, Sabalenka served really badly in that matchup and still won so badly that I feel like Jabor should have easily won the match. So Sabalenka had one ace, six double faults. She only won 60% of her first serve points. Jabor won 75% of her first serve points. And yet Sabalenka won in three sets. The point is, even when Sabalenka is not having her A game, she was still able to beat Jabor over the course of three sets. And Jabor was actually favored in that match on hardcore. They faced off in Wimbledon, 
and Sabalenka won comfortably, won that one in straight sets. So that's the only matchup they have on grass in their careers. And they faced off in Abu Dhabi in 2021. Sabalenka won that one in straight sets too. But the real story with these matches was kind of the uh, other play, or the main reason why I like Sabalenka in the spot was going to be actually my initial lock that I changed my mind on, which was the plus money play. It was the Sabalenka over three and a half breaks at plus 120. She's just consistently generated a lot of pressure against Jabor service games. She has broken Jabor at least four or five times in two of the last three head-to-head matches. And the one exception was actually in Wimbledon, where Jabor did get broken a couple of times, but she only got broken three times. Having said that, Sabalenka did have 10 breakpoint chances. So she's constantly involved in Jabor's service games, and I think Jabor's going to blink a couple of times. Sabalenka's powers translated quite well, to the actual uh, grass surface. And it's really a nice battle of styles because Jabor likes to slice a lot of unorthodox shots, very finesse of a player, while Sabalenka's pure firepower. And I just think that Sabalenka is going to be able to dictate the overall pace and be the aggressor in a lot of these points. And assuming that Sabalenka's unforced error count doesn't skyrocket based on what we've seen in the first uh, couple of rounds where Sabalenka's just been phenomenal and she's been very consistent with balancing her power with her lack of mistakes. I think that that's a bit too much for Jabor to deal with. So for me, I'm going to go with Sabalenka minus one and a half games at minus 140 as my lock. And for my dog, I am going to go with the over two and a half sets in the Vendrozova and Svitolina match at plus 125. I do still like that Sabalenka breaks prop, but once again, I think I like this a bit more. Simply put, I think these players are going to kill each other. I know Vendrozova and Svitolina have had some pretty straightforward matches lately where Vendrozova has kind of killed Svitolina, but it's on grass. Svitolina has been very, very good against good competition. Vendrozova has been good too, but against weaker competition. I really see this turning into a war. We've seen each of Vendrozova's last two matches become three-set affairs. We've seen three of Svitolina's last four matches go to three sets. I see a war here. It's a shot for a Grand Slam Finals appearance. I think you will end up seeing each player have some nerves. I think it'll balance out, and I think you might have a classic on your hands. So for me, I think that this has a real war written all over it. So give me the over two and a half sets at plus 125. So once again, the lock and dog for the women's semifinals in Wimbledon, the lock's going to be Sabalenka, minus one and a half games at minus 140, and the dog will be Vendrozova and Svitolina over two and a half sets at plus 125. That's going to wrap it up for this episode of the Tennis Game Win Podcast. So back once again tomorrow for the men's semifinal breakdown. Uh, which will be taking place on Friday. So the podcast will be recorded on Thursday. Find me on Twitter at Reichel Radio. Find me on the other shows with SGPN, the NBA show, the NFL show, the MLB show, uh, the WNBA show. You get the point. Until next time, though, good luck to all of you and all of your bets. Bye, everyone.